All right, well, let's pray and we'll dive in. Your Exodus 20 will continue in a moment. Lord, we love you. We thank you that what you're doing in, in our community is worth rejoicing about. You're speaking to your people. You're teaching us your ways. Lord, you're changing lives, and for that we say thank you. Now, God, as we just look to the scriptures, open our eyes to see what's right and true and good. We want to live more like you, Lord, and in order to do that, we need to know your ways. God, write them on our heart this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we're, if you're new, we're in a series called Written on the Heart, and this is uh, a th- week number five, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments not as a list of rules, not as like a moral compass, but as the actual teaching that God gave a real people that can transform how we live in relationship to him and to one another. Now we've, we've reached commandment number four, and we're going to read it in a moment from verse eight. But as a bit of a setup, my wife and I were in Israel just a month and a half or so ago. And on Friday, our tour guide reminded us and kept reminding us, we're about to enter Shabbat, which is Hebrew for Sabbath. And just remember that in the next day, and was reminding us the practical stuff, like when we get to our hotel, and in the hotel lobby, you can't order a coffee because it's shut down for Sabbath. Uh, if we want to go to the stores, they're all closed tomorrow because it is Sabbath. So much so, there are Shabbat or Sabbath elevators in the hotels because many people don't want to do any work, which involves electronics especially, on the Sabbath. So you can take the Shabbat elevator, which basically opens and closes on every floor and goes up one floor. It stops on every floor so you don't have to push a button. No, no joke. The Sabbath elevator. When you are in Israel, even to this day, Everything changes for 24 hours. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown is the Sabbath day. Now, we happen to be in the Sea of Galilee. And so, beautiful environment. And there's parks all along the seashore. And so, I went on a run after we did some touring. And I'm running along and I'm looking at family after family with their blanket and their picnic basket. And there's eating and drinking. And and kids are playing. And everyone is enjoying their Sabbath. Unique in all the world how they do it. Now the question we're going to ask ourselves is what's happening in Israel and the following of the Sabbath. Is this what you and I are called to? Remember we're looking at the Ten Commandments and we're asking five questions to kind of guide ourselves through it. Are you breaking the Sabbath right now? Are we breaking the Sabbath? Are we keeping it? Well how do we keep it. We're not ethnic Israel. We're not all living in one country with one set of rules. Some of us are working different days. How do we keep the Sabbath? Well, let's just read it and we'll dive right in. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord, Yahweh, blessed the Sabbath and made it Holy, here's the plan. We're going to look at the text, which we do each week. What does it say? Ask five questions on how we figure out what that means. And then we're going to spend more time today applying it. Now, a little bit of a warning. We take the Bible seriously here. But because the length of this command, it's the longest of the ten. The first four are about how we relate to God. But this one's the fourth one. The next six are about how we relate to each other, and they're there on purpose. It's a bridge. How I live in rightness with God bridges to how I live in rightness with you. And so Sabbath is a huge, important concept to grasp. I'm just warning you, it will be only 63 minutes longer than last week. We'll, um, we'll make it, all right? So we'll have you out by three, I promise. Okay. <laughs> Calm down. It'll just be 47 minutes longer. All right, here we go. 
We're going to look at the text and ask the five questions. Three things in the text. They're right there. You don't have to be a scholar to figure this out. Verse 8. What is the command? What is God actually saying? Remember the Sabbath by... So remember, and here's how you do it. Now what does it mean to remember? Uh, it's, think of it this way. Uh, remember my birthday, which happens to be August 7th. Uh, remember, when I say remember my birthday, what am I saying? Put it on your calendar? Well, sure, that's part of it. But remember implies action. If you remember my birthday, do a little Facebook happy birthday thing. Send me a text if you have my number. Cash. You know, <laughs> all of those would be remembering my birthday. So when God calls the people, the command is not just know it's there. It's do something about it. Remember by keeping it holy. Don't get tripped up on the word holy. Holy simply means set apart as special. So there are seven days in a week. Treat one differently. And when you treat it differently, you're keeping it holy. You're, you're recognizing it's special. It's separate. It's not like the other days. That is the command. Now, how do I live that out? Verses 9 and 10. It says it. It's right there. Six days you shall labor. God loves work. Work is good. It's a gift from God. Six days you shall work and, and do all of it, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath, the word Shabbat, means to cease, to pause, to stop. Rest is implied in it, but don't think nap. To Shabbat, to Sabbath, is to cease from doing what you were doing the other six days. Who do we do it to? The way we do that is we do it to the Lord. So it's not just a day off. For Israel, this was not just, hey, everyone needs a vacation. No, it is a day that's treated differently because God. Okay, so that we'll get into that as we go along. Now, the seventh day, on it you shall do no work, neither you, your son or daughter, so your son or daughter can't, male or female servants can't, your animals can't work, or a foreigner residing in your towns. How do I do it? This is God's way of justice. When you think of the command, the command is to treat one day differently because God asked us to, how do I do it? God already knows that we're going to try to connive around. He knows we're going to look for a workaround. So me, I'm faithful to God. I'm the boss of this company. I'm going to take the day to worship God. But because I'm there, all my managers and employees have to work for me. Because we got to keep this thing clicking. God says no. Son or daughter, they can't work for you. Male, female servants, they can't work. Oh, and by the way, even the foreigners, if there are people in your town who aren't following God this way, you can't make them work. It's God's sense of justice. The entire community gets to stop. Now, if you don't think this is revolutionary, remember, they're living in a day where slave labor was common and slaves never get a day off. Ever. And what does God say? I have created a rhythm for my people. Rich, you get to stop. Poor, you get to stop. Young, you get to stop. Old, you get to stop. Lots of responsibility and wealth or just eking out a living. Everyone gets to stop on the same day. Wow. This is completely counter-cultural. And God says this is for everyone. But what's vague here is what's made this complicated. All throughout the text, God says, don't work on the seventh day. Don't work. Six days you work. Seventh day you don't work. But God does not define work. That's what's made this complicated. God doesn't say what work is or isn't. So they're all agrarian. They're all farmers, shepherds. When, you're, when your mule, your donkey is about to give birth, on the seventh day, can you help? Is that work? Well, that's how you make a living. They're your property. They're your prized possession. Are you allowed to help? Or is that working, disrespecting the seventh day? Again, 
the priests, the Levites, the, the leaders in the place of worship, the tabernacle and the temple, it's a day of worship. So they're going to sing. What about the singers? What about the musicians? They're serving on the seventh day. Are they breaking the commandment? So because God didn't define work, this has been confusing. But, okay, we have what the command is, how to do it. I think the secret is in verses 10 and 11. Um, actually, verse 11 gives us the why. If you've always, if you've ever wondered, like, what is this all about? God gives us the why, and the why is going to help us to figure out Sabbath in our world. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. In six days Yahweh created everything that is, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested, he Sabbath, on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy, or he made it different. Here's the mind-blowing thought. Sabbath did not begin in the desert with the people of Israel who just got set free from Egypt. Remember, they've never led themselves. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were free. Joseph goes into Egypt. They're looking for provision, and they end up camping in Egypt. They become slaves. 400 years. They have not ruled themselves. They have no government. They don't know how to live. God pulls them out and says, okay, I rescued you. These aren't my teachings that will save you, like we've been saying every week, following Jesus' teachings, following God's teaching, do not save us. God saves us and then shows us how to live. So because they're already saved, they're set free, Egypt is gone, he's going to give them their land, their blessing. How do they live in the land of blessing? How do they do it right? What does God design? The mind-blowing thought is that Sabbath does not start when Israel is created. Sabbath began when God made the universe. This is huge. Sabbath doesn't start on Sinai. It starts in the first week of the universe's existence. What God does is he quotes Genesis 2. Moses, he gives Moses, here's the command, but this is quoted in Genesis 2 too. I'll put it on the screen. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy or separate because on it, God rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What we know about the seventh day from the beginning is that God ceased. It's to cease, to stop, to pause. God ceases. Now, does God need a day off? Is that the implication of Genesis 2? He's got enough steam for six days and God needs a vacay. Is it like, thank Yahweh, it's Friday, you know? T-Y-I-F. And I'm glad that I've created for myself because, whew, that was really hard. No, no. So remember, God created it. Interestingly, on the sixth day, what's the last thing he creates? You. Look at the order. God makes you and me not like the plants, not like the animals, not like the mountains, not like the sun and moon. One thing of God's creation bears his image. The mountains declare the glories of God, but the mountains do not reflect the image of God. We need to make that distinction. They declare God's glory. You see the mountains go, wow, God is amazing, but they don't reflect his character. Who reflects God's character? You. You have been given the breath of life. That's how it's described. You're created in God's image. You're given the breath of life. And then God makes you in his image. God says, I, we will create them. And then he says, stop. In the way God made you, he put in a rhythm of work and cease, pause, stop. This is not a command that's going to make you right with God. This is the way God made you to live. Think about this. That's why this is so fundamentally important. That's why it's the longest of the Ten Commandments. There's more explanation about this than anything else. It's that important to God. All right, so that's what the text says. Five questions, and we'll describe what this might look like in 2016. First question, these are repeats, but if you're new, we throw it on the screen. You can ask this about any of the laws. What am I supposed to learn? Well, it's clear. God created us with a rhythm of work and rest. Sabbath, the, what we're supposed to get out of this is this is how God made us. God does it this way 
we are in his image, we should do it this way. How many of us are better at creating than God? We're not. So if we're not better at God than creating, maybe it's not our responsibility to manage life the way I want to or the way our culture defines it. Maybe the secret to life is to find God's rhythm and get in God's rhythm. Now, I'm, I'm going to suggest, for us, this is, for many, a new concept. What? There's a rhythm for life? Because from the moment you are born, if you were born here or in the developed world, you have been told more is better, do more, be more, achieve more, because more is better, and you have been told that because we live in a competitive force, you must stand out. And to stand out, you must push harder, work harder, attain more, save more, because that is what you were created for. And it go, it's in our educational system. It's in our athletic system. It's in our entire worldview. It's so prevalent. The fact that I'm saying that, you're like, what are you talking about? That's the way to live. Can I suggest ancient wisdom is wiser than our wisdom. And God's wisdom from day one is you should stop. Work, then stop. Then work. Now, are there more work days or more Sabbath days? There are more, six. Some of you think, well, no, we're only supposed to work no more than five days a week. Actually, God says six. Underworking isn't God's design. Now, what's the definition? I'm throwing you off because what's the definition of work? We haven't even gotten to that. But this is important. This is the rhythm of God. Secondly, what does this law mean to ancient Israel? Now, for some of you new to the Bible, this, this may sound dense. There were two things that made Israel Israel. If you were in their world when God spoke to them and you were looking at people, two things define Israel. Circumcision of men. God said to Abram, I'm making an agreement with you. And this is the sign of our agreement. All your male children shall be circumcised on the eighth day. It's, a, it's an external marker. I'm marking you out as my people. You are mine. That's a sign. The other external marker is Sabbath. All of you are going to stop on the same day and you're going to enjoy me. Not as a command and a rule, and if you don't do this, I'm going to blow you out of the water. No, no, no. This is actually a gift. I want you to catch this. Sabbath was never designed to trip us up. Sabbath was designed by God as a gift so that you can enjoy life the way he intended. So let's ask the third question. Why did God give it? Like, why give this command? Israel is supposed to live as ambassadors. So they're about to get land. Like I've walked on land, real geography land. And it happens to be on a trade route to the entire, it's an east-west trade route. From Europe to Africa, when you're going northeast and southwest, in any direction, you're going to end up traveling through Israel. So goods and services are going to go from the known world from Europe down through the Middle East and to Africa. When people come to the land that is God's, and they come on a Friday, and they go to trade, they're going to find no one's there. What? And then on Saturday, they're going to go to trade and buy and sell, and no one is working. And what they're supposed to do is ask the question, how in the world can this nation survive with no one working? And the people of God are to say, because God is with us. I do not have to work seven days a week. God provides. Now, how do I know this? You read the rest of Exodus, God provides. While they're in the desert, he provides for them food. Remember, it's manna. Food shows up. Who, got, who provides this? God. Every day, manna. Now, six days of the week, God tells them, just take enough for today. Daily bread. Daily sustenance. Every day, I'm going to be faithful. And every day, it shows up. Manna means, what is it? They don't even know what it is. It's probably a vegetable, which is why we hate it. So, so it's, um, they, they scoop it up and they cook it for the day. And if they keep it overnight, it spoils and it's rotten. 
maggots weren't. Doesn't, it's, it's daily provision. But here's what God says. On Friday, take enough for two days. Take for two. And guess what? On Saturday morning, it won't rot. It will last two days. God is saying, when you're in my rhythm, you can trust everything you need will be there. I am your God. Rhythm, work, and rest. So they're supposed to be ambassadors. So when, when people are asking, and the buzzword's going to go around the world, there is a people that lets their slaves enjoy the same thing as the king. The king gets to stop. The slave gets to stop. Who does life like this? And it's, a point, it's supposed to point. It's their God. God rules these people. That's the goal. Go, Sabbath was just a gift. When we enjoy the gift, God is seen as provider. All right? Now, question four. What does this law reveal about God's heart? This is intriguing. God calls us to know him and gives us the space and the time to do it. It'd be one thing for God to say, hey, do this. Good luck. God says, we're in relationship. We're in covenant relationship. Long-term relationship based on promises and, 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 and commitments. So God says, I'm committed to you, and now you're committed to me. So in order for us to thrive, let's meet. And because life is hectic, and parenting is hard, and running a business is hard, and the weather is tough, and there's, there's literally on all sides armies coming against them. Here's what we're going to do. Meet with me every day. Pray, with me, pray to me every day. Talk to me every day. But, but, but let's have a long time together every week. Because if you go too long without me, you're going to start depending on yourself. So God sets up a system where you can meet with him and you're not taking away from your other responsibilities. It's a gift. You get to stop and meet with him without worrying about food, provision, and anything else. I'm like, this, is, this would be great. Man, like, can we bring this back? Well, maybe God wants us to. It's a gift. Now, so we know his heart is relationship, and thriving relationships require time. So I'll give you an example because you're going to get this. Uh, Carmen and I have been married for 20 plus years. We dated for five years prior to that. I'm 85 years old, but I use oil of Olay. It's, it's amazing. No, I'm not that old. But we've been together a long time. I didn't stop dating Carmen when we got married. As a matter of fact, marriage is an entree to a, to a new level of dating. When I say dating, like spending time, you know when you're dating, you're, you actually pay for stuff and you go out to eat and you, you enjoy one another and you make them the priority. Some of our relationships are not thriving because we stop investing. And in the rhythm of marriage or a long-term relationship, there should be investment. So Carmen and I do a date every Friday. Because I don't want, and we don't want our accounts to get short and, and we just lose, you know, and then it's a six months we haven't actually had a conversation because we're busy doing all this stuff. So in our weekly rhythm when we have a date, we do it while our kids are in school on Friday. It's cheaper for us. Lunch is cheaper than dinner. Duh. And, and we have the time because we don't have to take, uh, get our kids with someone else for care. So that works for us. So I could, we could not do it but is that helpful? It doesn't mean we're no longer married. See what I'm saying? It's a gift I get to date this person I'm in relationship with. Now, some of you are like, that was practical. And some of you are like, I want to nudge, but I don't want to get, you know, in an argument later. That has nothing to do with Sabbath, but it has everything to do with thriving relationship. And it applies to Sabbath as well. Okay, what are the implications uh, based on our New Testament situation, this is where we start, have to start digging. Sabbath was given to Israel in Exodus 20, clearly defined with all of these laws on how a real group of people are going to live in the Middle East thousands of years before Jesus. So I can't read that. I can't just say, because Exodus 20 says this, as a Jesus follower, I need to apply it this way. Sometimes when you look at Jesus, he affirms exactly what Moses said to Israel. It applies identically. Other, like, do not murder, which is going to come up. 
equally do not murder in light of the kingdom of God coming in Jesus. But sometimes Jesus reinterprets a law given by Moses to fit the situation under his leadership. This is one of those situations. If you have your Bible, we're going to leave Exodus. We saw what it meant to Israel. Now go to the right to Mark's gospel, Matthew, then Mark. Go to Mark 2, and I want you to see, um, so much so we're not putting the, the words on the screen for this one. I want you to read it in its full. Mark chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 23. Mark 2, 23, and this is Jesus' teaching. He did it multiple times. I'm just going to hit one from Jesus and one from Paul because, frankly, when I finished like, writing out this message, it probably would have been an hour and a half. I'm not exaggerating. And I realized I better just cut the multiple things. So you get one from Jesus and one from Paul. Thank me later. All right. Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along and they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they, or your disciples, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, if you don't know a little bit of the Bible, this may seem like, well, what's the situation? There is no specific law saying you can't pick up grain. The law is you do not do work. I want you to catch this. God doesn't define work in Exodus 20. So what the, the teachers, the priests, the, over the centuries, they were like, we got to make sure that people understand what work is. It's just like generations here. If your grandparents are still living, ask them what work is. And then ask your parents, if you're a young person, how they define work. And then let that young person define work. You're not going to get the same answer. Every generation has a definition of what work involves. And it's usually more than three hours, okay? If, you know, that little part-time job is a taste of what work can become, okay? Don't say you're stressed out after those three hours. <laughs> Ask your grandparents what work was. So, so you see that. So, so what they did was they compiled a list of definitions about work. And then over time, those definitions became traditions. Then those traditions became written down. So by the time of Jesus, there are 613 commands in the written Torah, God's holy word. But by the time of Jesus, there are more than 1,500 commands on top of them to define what the 613 commands mean. We have, it, we have a constitution that's a couple of pages long. But you go to the Library of Congress and look at U.S. law, Right? The Constitution is pretty small, but then there's law written to explain what the Constitution means. And so it's the same thing here. By the time of Jesus, there's all... So Jesus separates. The Pharisees say, your disciples are doing what's unlawful. They were not breaking the law given to Moses. They were breaking the law of the traditions of the elders. So were they right? Were they wrong? Let's just look at what Jesus says to the situation. Verse 25. He answered, have you never read what, was, uh, read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, David entered the very house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So here's what Jesus does. This is brilliant. He uses case study. He, say, you, he says, Pharisees, you're saying my disciples broke God's written law given to Moses. Well, David, who's the hero? There's no greater king than David. There's no greater Jew than David. David is the epitome because he has a heart after God's own heart. David is a man after God's heart. So you want to live like David. He's like, okay, case study. David breaks one of the laws of Moses. Only the priests eat this bread. It's in the law. But David, given a situation, because he's hungry and he's about to die, he and his army say, give me the bread, and they eat the bread. David, the man after God's own heart, is okay, but yet you're saying my disciples are not okay. 
may be your interpretation of what God has said is off. Now, if you don't think that Jesus has something to say, the Pharisees had 39 different classifications for what work is. They defined it by 39 different things. Some were obvious. Don't hunt. That makes sense. Don't go out of the fields and, and plant seed. That makes sense. Okay. But then it got really weird. Don't untie a knot. Because that would be work. Or don't tie a knot. Uh, don't sew more than one stitch. Why would you want to sew anyway? But on the Sabbath, you cannot sew more than one such. If you want to write, you can write. Do not write more than one letter. These were human traditions meant to define what work is. So if you could write a letter in one letter, go for it. A.K.A. they were trying to add these stipulations to make sure. that Now, the heart of the, Pharise the Pharisees are not the bad guys. The Pharisees are the good guys. Because the Pharisees believed Israel was in a mess at the time of Jesus because they did not obey God's written law. Because they failed to keep the Ten Commandments, they're under the Roman leadership, and God is not going to bless his people until they follow. So the Pharisees took the 613 and the 1500 and said, these are our guidelines. If we follow them, all of us, God will bless us. And what does Jesus say? I want us to catch this. Jesus upholds the teaching, the Torah. He does not flippantly break the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. Jesus, from Friday night until Saturday night, did not work on the Sabbath. So if you want to be like Jesus, you can't just chuck it. Because Jesus, when he lived, he lived in this rhythm of work and rest. But what Jesus throws out is the oral traditions. They misdefined work, and because they misdefined work, Jesus says, the heart of what God said is true, but what you guys are saying about it isn't true. Now, all right, so I know what it meant for Israel. I know what it means to Jesus. The law is good, Sabbath is good, but poor definitions, legalism, rules and regulations, that's not the heart of it. Now, on another instance, how do I know what we do about it? And this is where we have to think. The reason we read the whole Bible is because the whole Bible gives us the full story. If I just read Exodus, I will become legalistic. And Christian communities that just say, because God said it in Exodus, we must live it like Israel did, are missing the point. Jesus redefined Sabbath. The way we know this is because his followers started to apply it. Colossians chapter 2. I'm just going to give you one. I could go all day, literally, but I love you. Colossians 2, 16 to 17, Paul applying it to a church. Decades, just decades after Jesus says this. Therefore, because it was arguments about Sabbath, there, there, there always have been. This is about argument about Sabbath. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Jews kept kosher law. And, and Paul says to the church, don't let anyone say you're not a Christian based on what you eat or drink. Or with regard to religious festivals, and then he lists them out, new moon celebrations or a Sabbath day. Don't let the defining mark, are you a Christian or you're not a Christian? The defining mark is not if you keep Sabbath or for our context, worship on Saturday or on Sunday for that matter. Those things are not as important. Why? 17 is the key. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. The way it's explained in the Old Testament is to prepare us so when Jesus comes, we get the whole understanding. Apart from Jesus, we're going to try and live like Israel. You can't live like Israel because even today in the nation of Israel, they can't force anyone to keep Sabbath. They can only suggest it because it's a multicultural society. And you actually have Muslims who live in the land of Israel. So if you were to say, 
The only way God will bless ethnic Israel living in the Middle East is when they keep Sabbath. That's an impossibility because you have Jews and non-Jews and Muslims and everyone else. It's impossible. The only time it worked in when it was just Jewish leaders in just Jewish land. That's not the situation today. So for us, there's no way to apply this exactly like Exodus. But it doesn't mean we throw it out. So one extreme, and the extreme Paul's writing to, is they had Jews and non-Jews in the church. And the Jews were saying, if they really loved Jesus, they would live like Jesus. And Jesus kept Friday to Saturday as holy. And now these non-Jews, they're going to work on Saturday. They're eating on Saturday. They're shopping on Saturday. They're not true Jesus followers. And Paul steps in and says, you misunderstand Sabbath. Sabbath for Israel is no longer the defining marker for Sabbath for us, the people of God. But you say, I'm confused, Jose. You told me Sabbath was from creation. It is. We're going to begin to define it for us. Sabbath goes from creation. For a season of history, Sabbath looked like what the Jews did in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and throughout the coming of Jesus. But now in Jesus, Sabbath has been redefined. So what does it mean for us to keep Sabbath? Let's get down to us. You needed that foundation because there's two extremes, and you're, you may be in one of them, maybe not. One extreme is legalistic. Some arms of the church, some angles of the church who say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, take it and say, if you worship on Sunday, you are not honoring God. The only way to honor God is to do it his way. His way was Friday night to Saturday night. So Saturday is a day of worship. To which I would say, read Colossians 2. And the rest of what Paul wrote. It's impossible to say that apart from Jesus, this is the way to live. But now that we're in Jesus, we have been set free. So worship for us is, it can be every day. They had to go to temple three times a year. So the person who says that will say, well, why don't we all go to temple three times a year? Oh, by the way, there isn't a temple. It's impossible to keep the commandment to go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple three times a year. That's what was commanded by God. You can't do that. There is no physical temple. There's a Muslim holy site on where the temple used to be. It's physically impossible. So we have to remember that Jesus changes everything. So ethnic Israel, ancient Israel, had to do that. But in the coming of Jesus, we have been set free. So now, check this out, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if I wanted the presence of God, I had to go to Jerusalem, I had to go to the temple, and that's where Yahweh met with his people. But in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, whose presence was at the temple, is now not in buildings, and it's in you and me. The Holy Spirit of God that filled the temple is now filling you and me. And so where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, Jesus says, I am with you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, I think. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence lives with you. So we can't apply the Old Testament the same way that we apply it in light of Jesus. Do you get that point? I've overworked it, but we need to remember that. One extreme. Second extreme is equally dangerous, and this is where I think we fall. We just throw it out. That was for them. Now I'm free to work seven days a week. And is that what God is saying? Here's what I want to suggest. That in the new covenant, because of the work of Jesus, it's no longer Friday night to Saturday night, but we still remember God's creative rhythm. Sabbath was always a gift from creation. And even though it doesn't look like ethnic Israel for us, it doesn't mean that we can live outside of God's rhythm and enjoy his blessing. And this is where I want to press in. I want to suggest we're not like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were overly legalistic. That's not most, most of us. Most of us are over here somewhere and we're like, well, I just, you know, enjoy life. I can meet with God all the time. And the I can meet with God and worship all the time usually means I don't worship God most of the time. That's what it usually means. But then we come to a gathering and say, okay, that was my worship time. See, God's smarter than us. 
and it creates a rhythm to say, you are free to pause and worship and enjoy me. Now, I'm naturally work-oriented. You have to know this. This is hard for me because I want to produce. And frankly, I'd rather get up earlier. Sleep is an inconvenience. And I want to get as most out of every day that I physically can. And that is good sometime and bad most of the time. Because my propensity is put the pedal to the metal and then accuse you of being too slow. That's, that's, that's my rhythm to which my wife smiles. Because it's just, it's just true. She's stuck. So I'm not the best example. I need God's rhythm. Can I just suggest our culture is saying now, because you have technology, you never turn off. There was a time when people couldn't get a hold of you. That time is gone. There was a time when you can wake, wake up and not be in tune with the entire universe. I have followers on Pluto somewhere. I, right? We, all, we were connected with everyone. And because of time zone changes, as soon as I wake up, I want to see what all my European friends have done because it's later in the day. Like, you, you, we're, we're totally tied. And we think that that's being more productive. Can I just suggest this? When you get out of God's rhythm, it hurts you in ways you don't think about. Stress, anxiety, a feeling of emptiness, even though I have more than I've ever wanted, I feel more empty. It's partly... Because of materialism, I think things give me satisfaction instead of God. But partly, it's just the rhythm, pace of life. Since childhood, I've been taught more is better. More is better. Keep going. Push. Come on. Do it. Don't be lazy. And God is saying, work hard and stop. And when you stop, God shows up with two days' worth of supply. He doesn't penalize you for stopping. He doesn't say, I can't believe you're not productive, therefore I'm going to take away. He says, no, I'm going to give you more because you get my rhythm. Now, I've been very ethereal, and we need to end on a practical note because some of you may say, like, I love this, Jose, but I don't even know what you're talking about. How do you do this? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my version of what Sabbath looks like. I'm not perfect. I'm learning. I could tell you the last five years have been life-giving for me because this church so believes in this teaching. I heard this years ago, and it revolutionized my mind on how to live in God's pattern. I'm trying to apply it. I'm better now than five years ago, but I've got a long way to go. So all I can do is give you, here's my experience, and then don't do what I've done, but use it as like a template for how Sabbath may work in your world. It's not a rule. It's not a law. I can follow Jesus and ignore the Sabbath, but I could also follow Jesus and not drink water for a week and die. Right? Nothing's stopping me from, I can love Jesus and be foolish. I could ignore wisdom. So this is a wisdom issue. Four things to think about to enjoy God's rhythm. Number one, pick a day and get started. Pick a day. So in our home, it's Friday. Why? Because of the rhythm of our week, Sunday is our biggest day for church staff. This is our longest day. And so Friday, all of our staff is off. Our office is closed. You can't get a hold. So I, you pick the day. Now, I didn't choose Friday. Friday works in the rhythm of a church. That will be different for you. If, you, if you're married... Uh, and, you, you're, and you don't have the same day off even, that's going to be a challenge. But if you do, pick a day and start. You just have to say this. If you say, I'm going to do it this week, guess what? You will not do it. But when you say, this is the day, you will begin. Remember, Sabbath is a gift for you, so it's not legalistic. And like, I can't, if you miss a week, you, you start the next week and try to get it right. You don't like, I can't believe I missed last week. I travel a bunch, so this throws the whole schedule off. But Friday is our day. Build in time for worship and rest. Sabbath is not, I'm going to tell you the difference between a day off. A day off from work, your employer, is the day you get all your personal work done. Errands and this and that and bills and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? That's work. That's not going to be life-giving. So what I do is I build in time 
for worship and rest. So I'm a morning person, and so I get up even a little earlier on a Friday, and I spend time with God before the family gets up. Before Carmen gets up, before the kids get up, I want to spend time with God. Because here's what, I don't have to go to the office. I don't have to go to a meeting. I have more time with God. Our kids get up, and, and I love the morning, so I want to make them breakfast. I want to see them get off. So I'm, I'm making breakfast. I'm breaking the Sabbath. No, no, you're missing it. This is life-giving. It's a chance to bless my family and see them off. Afterwards, because I like to run, because I'm not going anywhere, I go for a longer run. Does that work on the Sabbath? No, no, no. This is part of my rhythm of rest. And it's, enjoy, it's enjoyable. And so that's my scenario. Carmen and I, will, I'll take, go and take a shower. We'll g- grab lunch. We like to go to a different spot every week. And we'll go out to lunch and have a date and chat and talk. And we're just free. Here's the key. For me, a day off is a day to run errands for life. Sabbath is a day to not do that kind of stuff. So I don't want to, I don't like errands anyway, let's just be honest. But this is a day to enjoy that God has given me a week that's been fruitful. So I'll stack the other days to run errands. So you say, well, can I mow my lawn on my Sabbath? I actually talked to a guy after the 9 o'clock gathering. He finds like caring for the lawn like fun and enjoyable and relaxing. And I say, go for it. If it's joy and life-giving, if you get a, a satisfaction about seeing those perfect lines, you know, if that's you, you're crazy, but enjoy it. I turn my email off. You can't get a hold of me on Friday. There are features on your phone. You can turn your email off. Here's what I found. It was really hard at first. And guess what? The world keeps spinning. I'm not that important. Like I'm not. And neither are any of us. You're not that important. That people can't wait one more day. You say, well, you don't understand. In our work environment, we have to have our email off on, even on our days off. And I better respond. To which I would simply say, Go to your boss and step out in faith and say, you could get a hold of me six days a week, but there is a day committed to my family and to worship my God. So I will be there late, I will be there early, but there is a day that I set aside to pause, worship. Two things will happen. One, they'll they'll probably faint, because who does that? Secondly, they'll think about a lawsuit if they fire you. Because <laughs> we live in a litigious society. If he says his faith, you know. But I think more importantly, what it will do is it'll make you an ambassador. It'll give an opportunity for you to say, I believe. Now, there are whole companies that do this. One is just down the road. And their slogan is what? Eat more Chicken. Chick-fil-A closes on Sundays so their, their, their people can experience this rhythm. And guess what? They're an absolutely fruitful, profit-making company. What I'm saying is if businesses can do it, certainly you and I can do it. Third thing, do what you enjoy. Do what you enjoy. So uh, I'll, we'll do, we do brunch. If I can golf and I have time to golf, golf is life-giving to me. It's like lawn care that I didn't have to do. Right? It's just, I just go and I'm free and I'm not checking my email and I'm not stressed. It's beautiful. I get to, I get to see the sand, the sand, and I hit out of the sand. I hit the tall grass. I stand under the trees. It's wonderful. I jump in the water. I, it's, it's fun. You say that will be stressful for you. Don't do it on the Sabbath. You see, I wasn't made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for me. And so God lets us customize this. We, we get together with the kids. We usually don't cook on Fridays. We go out to eat or bring something in. I don't do laundry. I don't do housework. Now, now, is this possible? Yeah, it is. Can you do this? Yes, you can. Well, I've got little kids. It's harder. So, so don't feel bad when you have to care for your family or things are crazier. But what I'm saying is as much as you can, create a rhythm of work and rest. Finally, the last thing. For many, Sunday is a good day. 
for many of you, Sunday is going to be your best shot. Here's why. The rhythm of church provides an opportunity to worship. Maybe it's taking Sunday and repurposing it. Rather than, well, I get a, I get a jump start on my week. So I take Sunday nights and I... Maybe it's saying, no, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know some of the people in my church. What if we all said, I'm not just going to come here for two hours, but rather it's the Lord's day. Like maybe every week we can invite someone else for a coffee or a walk. Or if you have hobbies that are the same, some of you like to go to the lake or you, you like to boat or you like to hike. Maybe there are people in this community that have those same passions and you could do it together right because it's a day to God it's a day to rest it's a day not to be alone necessarily unless if you're an introvert and you love long periods of time alone this is God's gift for you get a book get a library sit read enjoy this is a gift now Jesus wants to meet with you every day and Jesus wants to meet with you every week. But just remember, catch this. This is not a got to. It is a get to. And because God is so good and he knows that we're manically obsessed with productivity, what he says is, I've provided a rhythm. Work and rest. I think the question is, do you think you're smarter than God? If you would admit you're not, then can I just say he's inviting you to Sabbath in a way that is life-giving and joy-filled and not full of rules. That's God's rhythm for you. Lord, I thank you that you bring us in seasons of rhythm, of joy, of work, highs, lows, day, noon, night, and God, we just ask you now, by the Spirit, to show us how we, as a church, can Sabbath. How we, as a family, can Sabbath. And give us those first steps, God. Some of us are so wrapped up in the entanglement of productivity that, Jesus, you need to shock us into this. Lord, whatever it takes to get us back to your rhythm, we ask you to do it, Lord. And now we sing in worship to you. We give you our life again, Lord. Reorient our week back to your ways so that we can live as ambassadors to Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet? Let's worship in response to what we've heard.